How to even go into a podcast that is in the aftermath of the Suicide Squad obliterate? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Them. of last week you've survived it you're here barely. to tell the tale barely man i feel like uh, <laughs> i've been brayed by the suicide squad i've been back to this job what four weeks yeah in suicide squad has already killed me off set again. you all the way back again. i think i need another yeah i need to go back I need another four months off don't make me go back in to talk about suicide don't squad again no man we got codes for this through last week and me and you were playing through it and i thought that, you know, I'd play it a little bit and then Ewan would finish it and I'll do like the first impressions right. and Ewan would pretty much guide it. Uh, and yet I found myself playing it every night for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> it's not a long game, so it's not that impressive that I finished it in a week. You know, I, I yeah. did the main story in 10 and a half hours, There's 11 a lot to hours, put up with, man. But it was a lot to put up with. And yeah, Suicide Squad is not good. Um, to not just repeat myself, because we did go 20 minutes, me and Ewan, over on the YouTube channel, which you should definitely check out. But this yes. game is so frustrating, and it's so complex in its issues that we were joking afterwards, like we could have gone three hours. You know what I mean? <laughs> Going into all of the spoiler stuff, which I won't go into do, to today, uh-huh. could have talked about it for three hours, because it is... It's a mess, but at least it gives you something to dig into. Like, there are lots of reasons for why I th- I didn't like it, mm. you know? My main reason, honestly, is just the design of the missions. I think you might get a kick out of this. You know, we talk so much. We talked on we the do, UBP. We talk so much. Uh, we do talk so much. God, I'm talking so much <laughs> right now. We talked on the UBP with Sai last week yes. about whether gameplay can, you know, can, can bad gameplay uh, be endured if the story is good enough. Mm. And I, normally I would say yes, but the more I think about Suicide Squad, the more the issue is with how the gameplay just detracts from mm. that story. Like, the design of the missions actively flattens the story experience and right. the impact of what's happening. You have a game where you're killing the Justice League, man. <laughs> Metropolis is on fire. There's an alien invasion, but you don't feel the weight of it mm. when everything you're doing in combat doesn't have the same scale. Like, if right. my preparation to go and fight Green Lantern, for instance, is to just, like, do an escort mission. You know what I mean? <laughs> do an escort mission across the streets so some guy 
having a more interesting story can go into a room and get me some Green Lantern killing bullets right. while I wait outside. It feels like I'm it's so I'm, boring. It, it feels like I'm a driver for mm. the protagonist, if that makes sense. I'm I'm the protagonist of the game's bodyguard, right. and that just makes the story lack the impact uh-huh. impact because none of it feels earned. When you're fighting these heroes, the mission design is so basic and boring that the scale cannot be felt. When mm. the heroes start dying. It doesn't matter because you're instantly thrown into another mission like you've already done. It's mm-hmm. just, it's it's one of the few games, I think, where, yeah, that mission design and the gameplay loop actively harms the potential of the story. Because I think if you just watch the cutscenes, you might be thinking, this, this is quite good, you know? Yeah, like it's written well enough, yeah. the characters come across, yeah. It's written well, it's performed well, it's directed well. If you just watch the cutscenes as like a compilation, you mm-hmm. might think, maybe I should have given it a go, maybe this could have justified it. But like, as a whole, it's one of those things where the two different sides of the game are just not synergistic. Very nicely done. Thank you. And its uh, I've never experienced a game quite like that before. Mm. Like, everyone's played uh, games that have great stories and bad gameplay or great gameplay and bad stories, but none where, I don't think anyway, none that I've played where they're actively at war with each other. Yeah, I'm firmly a a believer in the uh, theory that this game started as the the, uh, unique multiplayer game that Rocksteady had in the works uh, until about, I think it was 2016 or 2017, according Jason Schreier when they were then given the Suicide Squad game that had fell apart over at WP, WB Montreal and were ostensibly, I mean, you have to, who, I'd love to know what the actual conversations were, but the outcome of those meetings was get this thing over the finish line. Yeah. Um, and I just imagined that, um, you know, you could sort of uh, apply like a, I remember uh, watching, um, David Jaffe talked about it when he was on Colin Moriarty's podcast about like, here's this multiplayer framework, um, put uh, apply a Suicide Squad skin pack to that and that's what the Suicide Squad game is. Right. Um, and from his point of view, obviously David Jaffe, you know, uh, creator of God of War, um, he could see it going, could have gone that way. And I was like, that's kind of interesting. That, and when you think of it through that lens, like the way that it plays, like I know in the marketing you had Rocksteady say it had the Arkham DNA or it had the tone or whatever, and it's like it really doesn't, like or bits and pieces. No, but you're right. Like it doesn't have the tone. It doesn't feel aesthetically or tonally mm. or narratively like a continuation of that franchise. But no. honestly, one of my big surprises was how much Arkham stuff actually is crowbarred in there right. just because of how different it feels overall I thought they would try to distance themselves from it and mm. be like yeah that stuff happened but we're focusing on this new story this game if anything actually reminds you too much of the stuff that you liked from mm. Arkham the best parts of the game are the ones that reference things that happened or give a like nice little twist on the gameplay experience from those Arkham games like there's a great mission early on where you're getting stalked by Batman and right, yeah. it's essentially an inverse of what you did in those Arkham games it's the same sound effects he's doing the same moves but he's doing them on you mm-hmm. and that's a cool that's little a really idea. cool idea but then the game doesn't have anything to back that up and it does it one time and you know every single time something cool happens it's because they're referencing the past game and it yep. makes you just think I wish I was playing that game <laughs> I think that's kind of the thing is like when I look at the because I haven't played it, you and Ewan have played it, and then our beloved editor Dan Durkin also is playing through it as well. But um, that whole approach is that, like, like I, I don't know. You think about a multiplayer game that was quite a ways into development, or some they had various ideas of what a multiplayer game was going to be, um, and the idea of like, okay, put the suicide. I'm obviously I'm oversimplifying it, yeah. But that idea of applying a, a Suicide Squad skin pack to whatever you had, and then you had, then you do have time to design some bespoke levels um, and things like the Batman, that Batman mission that you described, that sticks out. But then you also have 
repeat boss battles and like really uh, raid based boss battles that are obviously meant for a mo- for you know like a squad of people to come out, um, you know, to defeat the way that the flash boss battle is. Not to do too many spoilers for the game for those who are playing through it, but um, just for that, like the way that the flash boss battle is, like that general approach gets reused for for different characters, um, and even the way that you bring um, you know these the Justice League down, it is just go find a buff. Yeah, like you're not like really outthinking them. It's just sort of like, well, what if you just shot them differently? Like it's not. There's no, it's not that much that's been changed for whatever that multiplayer framework would have been beforehand. Um, and I'm just curious. Like, I, It's not to uh, denigrate the devs. It's not to no. have a go. I actually think it's a Herculean miracle to get this over the finish line and to um, to be able to pull this off. Like The general energy around um, the Rocksteady devs that I've seen on social media is obviously they're super proud of the game, and you should be. There's a lot yeah. of work that's gone into it. Um, but I would be so curious about how many of them are just like, it. W- at some point, it was just a job. It was an assignment. We got it over the finish line. They obviously care. There's a lot of passion gone into it like we mentioned the cutscenes the writing and everything um but i can't i I can only imagine what it must be like to get over that finish line and just sort of like detense for a bit and just be like oh my god we did it it's done and we are happy with the work um and that just you know it's all finished and let's move on to something else no absolutely i agree you know you can tell that they've done an excellent job at polishing what i think is a kind of the, the fundamentally bad core of it. Mm. Like, it has that Rockstar sheen. I couldn't believe how well it played Steady. when I first jumped into it. You know, mm. I forgot how good Rocksteady were. Yeah, sorry, Rocksteady. <laughs> uh, I forgot how good Rocksteady were at um, just making great-feeling gameplay systems. Mm. And it, this definitely has it when you're swinging around or flying around Metropolis and you're chaining together the slides into the jumps, into the combat, into the melee, into the freeze explosions. Like, in isolation, that can be good. It's just that the missions don't support it because right. you're essentially doing the same thing for the entire game and you don't really get anything new to change things up. Like, mm. all of the enemies are pretty much identical. There are a few that you need to do specific button inputs to take out, but it's nothing more than, like, mm. a half-second sort of change to your fingers. It's not engaging, right. even in the same way that the Arkham enemy variety was, where you kind of had to use specific gadgets mm. or specific moves or whatever it was. It's an even more simplified version of that, and that's really what lets it down. Mm. And, yeah, I do, you know, I, I don't know what the original intention was, but... The biggest, comp- well, one of the biggest complaints me and Ewan had was that the superhero stuff in it, the Suicide Squad stuff in it, does feel like just set dressing. Like right. it's just used, like you said, you know, there's a third person shooter model in there. And it could have been any characters yeah. from any franchise. Like, it doesn't really have to be the Suicide Squad or DC or whatever. And I think that comes in, in the story as well. Mm. Like, we care about the Justice League in this game because we already know who the Justice League are. Mm -hmm. You know, we know The Flash, we know Green Lantern, we know Wonder Woman, we know Batman, um, but we don't know this specific version of them. Like, we don't get any character stuff with them. There are some tenuous links between the members of the Justice League and the Suicide Squad themselves, so each one has a personal beef, but it's not more than window dressing again. Like, you don't get much backstory about it. They tell you about it, but you don't feel it. You know what I mean? And it's the same with the boss battles to take them down. Mm -hmm. Um, Like you said, yeah, you you get some different bullets, but even that doesn't change the way you play. Which is is nuts, really. Absolutely, man. It's not like you get a cool Green Lantern killing gun, for instance. You just are doing the same combos, just now your bullets can affect him. That's all it is like, and that's the the frustrating part, because in the cutscenes, these heroes are flying around the powerful, they've destroyed the entirety Mm. of Metropolis, and then all it takes to take them down is not to learn a new combo, not to get a new weapon, it's just to get 
bullets that can now kill <laughs> Superman, you know? That was my thing going into this, where, like, I'm not a Suicide Squad fan. Like, I never have been, necessarily. I always give them a shot. I was there. I watched the 2016 movie. I watched the 2022 movie or whatever that was, the James Gunn one. And I just, I'm just not bothered. I don't really care. So, like, I'm, I'm kind of, like, I, I'm on the tertiary side of it, where I'm just like, I'll check it out every now and then. Um, but there was curiosity when they said Suicide Squad Killer Justice League, where I was like, well, you guys don't match up to, you know, the Flash and Green Lantern and Superman and Batman. How are you possibly going to out, you know, how, what, what ingenuity are you going to put into place to uh, outthink all these people? And won't that be, you could design so many cool set pieces around that. And obviously, the more we found out about the game, the more, like, that was almost never going to be the case because you'd have to sync up four different players all at once or something yeah. um, for different things. But you do have, like, you know, Captain Boomerang gets, like, a Speed Force glove or whatever so he can run around. But, like, that doesn't really seem to factor into the boss fight from what I've seen. It's not like you're all within like a speed force tunnel chasing him down or something no. to then open up a weak spot or whatever it is. Like nearly all the fights are just as, they're almost exactly what you think they are right now. Even those who haven't played it, um, it's, it seems very straightforward. Yeah. And, um, and at some point maybe that was all they could do with the resources available um, and that's fair enough. But I think that there was a, if there was a hook to get people in who were casual Suicide Squad fans or not fans at all, it was how do a bunch of regular criminals, like a um, someone who has a baseball bat, someone who's a big shark, whatever, how do they take the Flash down? How do they take Superman down? And then when the answer to that quandary is like, well, they shot them a bit. Yeah. That's really boring. That's 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 why I was so frustrated with it because that was the reason I jumped in. I wanted to, yeah. I thought with a, with a premise, like you have the Suicide Squad and they are killing the Justice League, mm. that inherently, you would, you would imagine, has to have some twists, has to have yeah. some turns, has to feel weighty and intense. You want to know how these, this group, group of ragtags can possibly go toe to toe with literal gods in the reality is like that they, they don't really <laughs> the premise for me some cool stuff happens here and there but it feels so inconsequential in mm. the grand scheme of things that the premise never elevates beyond its title like you are killing the justice league it doesn't lie about that but the whys and the hows and the intrigue just it just isn't there. Like, the Justice League are barely characters because they're yeah. all brainwashed. It's not even like they are doing specific things in the city. They're all interchangeable as boss battles to the point where it makes me think it feels more like... Can you remember Ghost Recon Wildlands yeah. where the structure of that game was there are a bunch of lieutenants out in the world mm. Just go kill them however you want. It could have been that and right. you wouldn't have lost anything. The narrative progression... There, you go through the different members, but it's not like it's building up to something grand or a twist or anything mm. like that. Mm. It's just, it's just, oh, okay, we need, need to kill the next guy. We need to kill mm. the next guy. We need to kill the next guy. And the only hero, in my opinion, that gets any real variety with those bespoke levels you were mentioning was Batman. He gets right. two. His boss battle is admittedly a little bit different. It's not good, mind you, but it is a little <laughs> bit different. It gives you that bit of variety. It changes the location around. Mm. And if it was like that for everything, I might be sat here saying, you know, get it for the story, or if you want to get it for the story, story yeah. get it for the boss battles, see how it goes, enjoy that. But yeah, it's just the way that gameplay structure just sort of just flattens that whole experience, and it's a, <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a shame, and Do I didn't want to hate it, man. I really didn't. No, do you think it's kind of just already done? Like, I feel like there was such a, a big sort of um, groundswell of hate last uh, last week, which is like, it's fair enough. Like, some people are looking forward to it. Some people are just very curious to different degrees of morbidity, like myself. Um, I've watched a bunch of cutscenes. Like I said, I haven't played it yet, but I know, I've talked to you, you and Dan quite a lot. Um, it feels like as we start a new week, it's like, I'm just curious. Like, does it does it hang on? Like, I saw uh, Yongye over on YouTube. 
YouTube um, was looking in, and I could have just Googled this myself, but looking into the Steam player numbers, right. it peaked at about 13,000 players and then dropped back down across the launch weekend, back down to about 11,000. And that's only on Steam, like console numbers will be higher, assumedly. But um, yeah, it's just that thing of like, are people, you kind of just look at it, it's like, yep, that's exactly what I thought it was. It is as bad as I thought. I'll see you later. And I wonder if it's if it's on the same pile as like a Redfall or um, or like a Kongskull or a Lord of the Rings Golem or something. Yeah. Um, obviously, obviously, technically, it's not that. Yes. But I just mean in terms of the how forgettable it is. Like a, a studio took their shot. Um, it's 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 not worth mining this game for the cool things that might be in there because it's quite a surface level game anyway. From the conversations that are happening, and maybe people just on mass move on. Um, kind of like they did with the Avengers. Um, and that thing only clung on for another uh, two years or whatever before it got shut down. So. Um, yeah, I wonder if this just ends up going the same way. Honestly, for me, this has less of a convincing jumping off point for a future roadmap than the Avengers did. Right. I think this gameplay is way better than the Avengers ever did. You know, that was way too sluggish for what mm -hmm. it should have been. But that narrative at least has a beginning, middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. Its characters have character arcs, like they start the um, story in one place and end it in another. You know, that <laughs> game ended with the Avengers finally back together, having gone through that experience in then it was a jumping off point for the entire live service mm -hmm. to come. And yeah, they kind of fumbled the bag on that, but the potential was there. I could see why people would have been interested for those content drops. For me, Suicide Squad, without spoiling the ending, mm -hmm. doesn't even have that. Like it doesn't have that satisfying mini conclusion and then the um, the push towards the next part of the story. Right. The story is fundamentally unfinished by the time you get to the end of mm -hmm. Suicide Squad, Killer Justice League. Um, you, have, you, have, you have accomplished things, but you have not accomplished much. Uh, much and mm -hmm. what it asks you to do in that end game grind to me was the point of no return for it i was i wasn't <laughs> angry with the game before then i thought it was a bit mid you know what i mean i was disappointed by the story i still would have been on this podcast saying everything i said about the story and the characters but i wouldn't have been incensed i wouldn't right. have been coming in on friday when i wasn't even supposed to be in the office and doing two videos on it <laughs> one specifically about the ending because my jaw was on the floor when I got to that final stretch because mm. it was, it reminded me of Anthem's um, padding. It yeah. reminded me of the Avengers' um, worst moments and, again, padding, you yeah, know? Yeah, like or the just, worst parts of Destiny or The something. worst parts yeah. of Destiny, the original Destiny. Mm -hmm. It was that brazen with, we are going to sell you this for full price and expect you to come back with no incentive, yeah. essentially. To just do the same things that you've done over and over again. It is literally copy-paste game design at some... Uh, copy-paste level design or boss design at some point. It's just like, literally go do this this one thing over and over and over and over again, which, again, I get is a more long-form critique of the game, like the amount of um, enemy variety isn't really there, the mission variety isn't really there, but to compound that after you've put up with that, yeah. assuming for a payoff that isn't there, um, only makes it even worse. Absolutely. I mean, you know me. You, you know how I play games. I talk yeah. about it on this podcast all the time. I'm very completionist in nature, you know. I don't just rush through, not rush through things. I don't just focus on the main story. I try to do side missions, mm. and that's how I approached this initially. But they are some of the worst side missions I've played in a AAA game right. because, like you said, the repetition in the main campaign is already ridiculous. That van mission I mentioned where you're doing, you know, the, the mode in Overwatch 1 where you kind of have to follow the oh, payload yeah, yeah. and protect it. Mm -hmm. They do that, um, right at the very start, right? And I thought, fair enough, you're introducing a <laughs> template for a side mission 
Okay, that'll be the side mission that we do out in the world. But then it repeats four or five times again in the main campaign missions. So I was thinking, why on earth, if I'm doing this stuff anyway in the main missions, why would I do the side missions? Yeah, that's all you have. Same thing again for slightly better guns, which you don't need because the loot system is so half baked. Like Mm. I didn't even need to swap my weapons around Mm. until the very end. And everyone plays the same anyway, minus like the way they get around. Totally got slightly different weapons. Like, what is? Why would I ever? in my life, spend time doing that mission again that I've already done literally 10 yeah. times for side content that has no story attached to it or no real reward attached to it. It is that fundamental issue because the gameplay in that final mission, um, it finally properly clicked for me. That mm. got a bit of challenge. I was almost playing it like Returnal, you know? There was all of these enemies. I was doing all of this acrobatic stuff and the, the gunplay, like I said, very satisfying, but by then it was too little too late because mm-hmm. I had 10 hours of missions that weren't getting the full potential out of it. Right. I think as well, like the, the another thing that's really emerged uh, post-launch is the the pricing structure of it. Like, how, like obviously the people who paid um, in the UK was £100 who got to play a few days early and then the servers went down anyway. Or they had that, other, they went down, sorry, they were taken offline because there was that bug that initially said people who were starting the game had just finished it. Like they would open the game to the you've beaten the game message. Um, so that, that stuff was taken offline, which you would think would be an easy thing to see. Yeah. If, you know, whatever on the testing side. Um, but there's all that stuff. And then you've yeah the overpriced versions of it. You've got thirty pound uh, skin packs. Like um, you've got to pay, even if you get the deluxe edition that's a hundred pounds. I saw Skiller pointing out that you still have to then pay even more for some of the color variants or some of the other skins. Um, I wonder, I'd be so fascinated in more follow-up stuff from the Rocksteady side. There are a lot of uh, Rocksteady devs weighing in right now on social media and everything, which is as they should. Um, they put the time in, and quite a lot of them say ex-Rocksteady, as they're saying. Like, well, right. I worked on this, I worked on that. Um, and I just hope those stories get told. I um, It's almost like a, a cartoonish view of uh, any particular creative industry, but I can't see past the the Warner Brothers, get the talons in, yeah. um, we want a payday from this. Like, you know, it always felt like it was a game that was designed for a world where eventually Avengers took off. And even if you go back to 2016, um, you know, we were right in the middle of um, Destiny 1 was wrapping up, Destiny 2 was about to come out, Destiny 2 then blew up, so behind the scenes it's like, okay, keep going with this. Uh, Fortnite was 2017, like the way that this game moves has parallels to Fortnite. Um, you know, you can kind of see like we should that we should keep doing this because it'll make all the money in the world. Yeah. And then it's like, okay, what IP do we hang it on? Um, well, I guess Suicide Squad at the time, like, the 2016 movie wasn't very well received, but still Suicide Squad was, they had another movie coming around like you can see all the pieces coming together and it's just like but I don't believe at any point there was a a singular sort of vision for it other than these composite parts will equal cash yes and uh, and that worked for Power World but that's the only (laughs) thing it's ever worked for 99% of the time consumers can see right through that Um, and I think that right now we're seeing right through it and the the bones of what's left are just like the the, like I said the composite parts that are just not satisfying I know it makes you annoyed because those composite parts man they like I said they do have that rock steady quality mm. and it's a shame it's them in, that's and the thing, no, yeah. and if they were in like a game that didn't have this structure whoever decided on that I don't know um, it could have been something special it could have been great and as always the games you get most angry about are the ones that have quality <laughs> within them and yeah like you mentioned there I almost feel bad criticizing it so heavily because I do think some of the backlash to it has been ridiculous you know this happens with a lot of games you know I've seen online, you know, people saying about how sacrilegious it is that some scenes are involved and how disrespectful oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. I don't think any of that, like, I didn't even bat an eye at some of the deaths. I was like, okay, <laughs> what do you expect from a game called Kill the Justice League? No, right? totally. The creative team could do whatever creative decisions 
they want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't have a problem with any of that. The problem I have is with the the, the structure of the narrative and the and the lack of depth there. Like, mm-hmm. I, I, my one of my favorite scenes is without spoiling it, the deaths of one of the the characters, and it's 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 actually a little bit impactful. It's the only one that I felt mm-hmm. on a narrative level beyond just recognizing who these characters are and right. what they're supposed to represent. They actually did a good job building up to it, and it had a nice payoff, and I thought, that could have been the game. <laughs> that really could have been the game. But just uh, as a final thing, because I don't want to mm-hmm. spend this entire bloody podcast being negative well, that about That was it, just super quick. That was my thing, because I was like, we're gonna we're covering it right now, and then I doubt you'll be going back to it. Oh, it's already deleted. Yeah, exactly. It's already gone, yeah. Like, I'll be amazed if it has a tail on it. Like, it feels like this year's Forspoken, which is almost yeah. ironically poetic, because it was this time last year when Forspoken was starting to uh, be mentioned and do the rounds and everything. But yeah, I feel like it's, I feel like part of me feels like it's already done. Like, we all sort of looked at it and went, yep, that's as on fire as I thought it was, and then, cool. The fact it's, um... You know, we obviously talk about the Avengers a lot, but to me, it's 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 more of an anthem. The fact that this right. came out in 2024, like I said, is is a uh, is crazy to me almost because it does feel so outdated. Mm. And I really would be intrigued um, to see what the response would have been if this dropped in 2020, even alongside mm. the Avengers. You know, probably would have had a big backlash, but it wouldn't <laughs> have felt so outdated. It would have maybe allowed Warner Brothers to realize, like, this isn't the way. How have you not seen these? past 10 years of failures mm. to kind of prove that you can't just do it like this. You can do a live service, but you can't do it like this, where no. it's sort of the bare bones start. And I think, and I don't want to insult the developers who, you know, have put so much time into the game to justify its price point, but mm-hmm. it it feels not free to play in the quality of its mechanics, but in the way that it is rolling out the content, in the lack of substantial content in there. And I wonder if if, if they discounted it or went free to play or even went early access and mm. said the full story will be there eventually, I wonder if it would have had the same response. I don't think so. Obviously, I didn't pay for the game, but if mm. I did, after that short campaign, which wasn't quality enough, I just, uh, no, it's not for me. Actually, though, as a final thing, yes. It did make me appreciate Gotham Knights more. You know, the last time I was <laughs> as this, well you should just the last run. time I was this frustrated at a game was Gotham Knights. But really? now I look back in comparison, and I think <laughs> Gotham Knights was all right. At least it had a story with beginning, middle, and end. Yeah. It gave you a lot of costumes for free. And they look Suicide incredible. Squad, yeah, which Suicide Squad kind of doesn't. Mm-hmm. And they look incredible. And even the gear was a little bit better. Mm-hmm. And the interplay between the characters was was had a bit more depth to it. Maybe I was too harsh <laughs> on Gotham Knights. So that's what I've got from this. That's the positive takeaway. So Sometimes you truly need to hit rock bottom to look back up and Rocks be like, oh, that, that thing was, yes, yeah, slightly higher. <laughs> um, we should talk, you mentioned before about, uh, you know, it could have been great. Let me tell you about something that's great. Go on. Tekken 8. I'm not going to spend too long on it because we're going to talk about Xbox stuff. Um, but I platinum Tekken 8, fastest I've ever platinumed a game. How, are there any like annoying online uh, trophies in no, there as just, well? I said, okay. They actually do quite a nice thing with, because um, a couple of the trophies are ranking based. It's just get to a certain ranking on your uh, character level. Like you, you have a different ranking per character. Then you have your online rank as well. Um, and so it's, thankfully it's not tied to your online rank being like some of the highest it could be because mm. the Tekken bar of skill is very high. Um, if you go on, like, I'm, I'm quite comfortable in that space now. Like I was getting demolished at the start. I love that the trophy you get uh, when you get your first online win is relax, you can do this. Nice. Uh, which is a great, it was a perfect capper to me just going, can I just get one, just one thing? Um, and so they tie the only ranking-based trophies to your offline rank. Um, so you just do, there's a whole, there's like two campaigns. You've got a story, story mode, and then you've got the uh, arcade sort of story mode where you play as like an avatar of yourself learning yeah. how to get good at attacking. And then you enter esports tournaments and stuff. Um, and so you can just play those matches to get your other rank up and then that unlocks stuff. So it was a really breezy platinum. Like I'm just, I, I, this is all I've played. I've put off infinite 
Infinite Wealth. I've done like 20 minutes of that game. That's my next thing on my uh, agenda or whatever is uh, Infinite Wealth because I've got a month until Final Fantasy drops. Unless yes. they send the codes in the inbox. That they I might even, do. I know I'm going to do. But um, but yeah, I just, I've just i done nothing other than Tekken 8. I uh, managed to finish Prince of Persia just before Tekken 8 kicked in. And um, both games are just phenomenal. Like it's my, I already have two like top games of the year, which I didn't have last year. Like I just, uh, I think Tekken 8 is just the full package. And the, the story mode is ludicrous. Like ridiculous. Like you, if you think you know how far they're gonna go, yeah, it's so far beyond that. I don't even, I don't even know if you'll still be on board with how far they go. I don't mind with that. Like mm. the, the insanity of the Tekken story. Yeah, we were talking. We were in the office the other day on lunch when Sai was up, and mm. we were well. You were playing through Tekken three. Yeah, and doing the. I challenged board. everyone in the room. Oh, they want to fight me. Well, yeah, because you're the one who plays Tekken yeah. online. I want to. I want to set my day up like that. Get my <laughs> ass kicked by Scott Telford on Tekken. Um, but the point is, we were talking about the um, the final cutscene of Tekken when you when you're playing as Jin, and yes. you kind of have that moment where he sprouts the wings and he goes. Uh, off and you he's silhouetted in the moon and how epic so cool. that was and how it just like imprints in your child brain about how cool it is and what does that mean what's yeah. going on so I'm always there for a bit of that with Tekken. I tell you what's funny is that Tekken 8's main story is almost a direct answer to what that you just saying what's really going on. This is what's really going on. Uh, like Tekken 8 is all about Jin. Like it's it's his story. Like uh, which is great. I'm a Jin main. Like I, I feel like I main the whole roster. But like, I love Jin. <laughs> I love Brian Fury. I love Reina. New character Reina is awesome. Like she's so cool. She's like yep. um, she's trained in the Mishima style, so she's kind of like a like a Hihachi kind of hybrid uh, yeah, with yeah. all of her new moves. But they all chain together really well. And um, there's lots of really cool little modifiers you can do to go between different stances and stuff. Um, Reyna, uh, Jin, and uh, Brian, like I said, are my three favorites. Um, and uh, the way the story goes, like I said, it's absolutely just ridiculous, but there's like, there's a, a crest of like, oh my god, what, how the hell are you going to end this? Mm. And then they find a really cool way of ending it. Uh, and the final sequence is getting like, not necessarily backlash, but it's, it's been talked about in the the, the Tekken fandom as um, just a, a potentially divisive thing. I loved it um, because I totally felt what they were going for. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm being very, very vague here. Um, and there's a lot of cheesy stuff in there as well, where um, you're doing certain uh, button prompts for things, which is just hilarious. But um, but the way it goes overall, I think, is phenomenal. And this is, I want to say it's the best Tekken. Like, it's it's the thing is, like, wow. it can't be Tekken. It just, at some point, it can't be a, a game you played when you were growing up that hit at a certain time in a certain medium. Like, Tekken 3 meant a lot yeah. to gaming history, and it meant a lot to Tekken's reputation in the West um, and how big that game got. Like, a lot of people love 2, but 3 was, like, the Tony Hawk's 2 or 3 of its you know, the the uh, franchise. And then Tekken 5 was immaculate. So it's like 3 and 5 are still way up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but 8 is way up there too. A lot of people love 7, but for me, the stuff with the rage arts wasn't like as fully formed as it could have been, whereas it, they've nailed it here. And it's like, you have all these mechanics to just clinch a victory at the last minute oh, that just feels so good. Um, and just playing it just feels so good. It's so responsive. Like I can't sing its praises enough. There's not a fault with it. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's a perfect Tekken game. Um, and uh, yeah, I love all the... Um, the extra stuff they do with like onboarding new players. There's a sizable chunk of this game. If you pie chart the whole game, there's like a good third of it that is just d- completely designated for new players. That is just like, this is how it all works. And we're going to walk you through a bit by bit. And do you want a bit more help? Do you want to have a, a new control scheme? Like, let's get you up there and, and make sure you're comfortable and having fun with these characters, um, which has been missing in the fighting game genre for like decades. I've got three questions for you. Bring them. Uh, and it's it's funny because I've it's, it's rare that I've ever been this jealous of someone and <laughs> um, playing a game, you know, I'm on the outside looking in. I feel like Tekken 8 has just had that effect on right. a big mainstream level where yeah. a lot of prior fans have been looking at this one for whatever reason mm-hmm. and going, 
I might get back in on this. This sounds I don't know amazing. Why it's this one, maybe just because it's the new generation or something. But maybe. like a lot of people, yeah, like rounding the bend, going like, I could do with some Tekken. I think that like first trailer, especially, was just so cool. Mm. Like I, again, I have not, you know, really put much time into this series for decades at this point. But that first right. trailer made me think, oh baby, yeah. oh baby, this is <laughs> Tekken maybe back. It just looked like it was pushing things and it was had that level of fidelity that you know mm. I absolutely like but you know, I can't wait to pay, uh, play it unfortunately the bloody UK government's sick pay policy means I'm still getting caught up <laughs> uh, money we'll wise that. so it's not, not financially um, viable at this moment but as soon as I get that sweet pay packet in I'm going <laughs> to get taken it so yeah my three questions are what yes. Nina Williams ready to pop the question the jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. I'll see you all soon. 
What's she up to these days? How's uh, my gal? Is she involved? Is she oh, on she's the involved. roster? Is she's she doing massively right? involved. She's uh, she's right alongside Kazuya in the main story, uh, working right alongside him with uh, for G Corp, Tekken 4's G Corp. I remember this. Yes. It's, um, although I guess you could I, you could argue it's the Mishima Zaibatsu. The um, but still, yeah, no, she's a main character. Like um, the she doesn't get I guess she doesn't get as much to do as like Jin and Kazuya. Yeah. But she's in a lot of cutscenes. Uh, Nina's whole look is kind of just like aggro mum. <laughs> which is a lot of people are going to absolutely love what they've done with Nina. Um, she has a lot of movies involving um, her pistols. Like, she's got twin pistols. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, I haven't played as Nina yet, but I, I, here in Anna, I was always like, I'm not, like, that bothered. Like, you know. Really? Like, if I'm not oh, gonna... Nina was my gal, man, back oh, in Tekken okay. 3, yeah. Uh, yeah, she could be phenomenal for all I know, but I haven't actually played as her yet. Mm. I've been up against her a lot, and I fight her online quite a lot. There's a character called Victor, um, who's, like, a new guy. He's, like, this French dude, and he's, like, this, like, super secret agent. He, um, do you, do you, did you play any of Tekken 5? No. That's okay, so my five biggest in, blind spot. In Tekken 5, they brought a character in called Raven, who is, he looks like Blade, and he's got the shades on, he's, like, a ninja, and he's, like, super cool. And then um, they gave him loads of teleporting moves. He was just a badass. I absolutely love Raymond. Yeah. And then in this one, they reveal that he is part of, like, I think he was always in some sort of, um, like, faction. And then they reveal, like, who his leader is. And it's this dude called Victor, who's like this John Wick. He's like nice. French John Wick. Um, and he's just this slick dude called Victor. He has uh, Raiden's um, sword from Revengeance. Yeah. Where, actually, sorry, no, it's Jetstream Sam's sword from Revengeance, where you yeah. can, like, push a button and it ejects it out and then he catches it and does moves. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> Unbelievable, but everyone plays Victor online, and it's like unless you're prepared for the amount of teleporting and insanity that's going to happen when you're against that character, um, you'll just get mulched. Amazing. But it's like he's in the main, he's a main, new main character as well because like there's a whole bunch of stuff that's going on in the story. Um, but yeah, Nina's involved um, as an answer to your first question. Question two. Yes, you mentioned when we talked about Tekken Eight last week that you can get some of the old costumes. And yes, you mentioned like I could get Tekken Three's Jin or mm -hmm. whatever. Can I get Tekken Three's King? The best costume in fighting not, game history. I've not. So the way you get costumes is you go into the. Uh, it's called Super Ghost Battle, um, which is mm. where they put in other players' ghost data, and you can you can fight any other player. The, the cool thing, if you fight someone online, you get destroyed by them. You can it'll save their ghost data, so you can go practice against them. And then if you like save the replay, or whatever, the game will then tell you like, hey, you actually want to duck when this happens or whatever it is. Nice. That's a cool little feature. Um, but inside the Ghost Battle, uh, the game already has a bunch of the ghosts pre-baked into it that are like. Um, one of them is Harada himself, Katsuhiro Harada like the creator of Tekken which is phenomenal um, but there's other ones in there that you have to defeat to get costumes um, I haven't done the King one yet mm. so um, it's, there's a few that double up but most of them um, you're defeating that new look of a person to unlock that look oh okay I mean, and yeah, so uh, I haven't gone on King's one yet but because yeah. um, there was only a few trophies associated with the ghost data stuff so I was more like doing both story modes and online I've been most of my time has been online because <laughs> I'm just I'm just loving it online Like just, you're that good oh dude it took me a while but like when you get there when you can hang in the online space and you're like you're like juking out the way of stuff and like, you're gonna do this then I'm gonna do this and actually you can't do that I'm gonna do this yeah. like oh god it's just great and my, the sweetest feeling on earth um, and I'm about to be a dad is when someone triggers their finisher and in the time between them triggering the finisher there's like I don't know 20 frames or something mm -hmm. before it connects you kill them in that space Ooh. so they were just about to win and you go boop and it's just like I'll just steal that win from you <laughs> uh, that is a, a very uh, specific feeling that I absolutely love um, so no I haven't got kings yet but quite a lot of the costumes that you get 
Although not necessarily quite a lot, but Jin's is a throwback to his Tekken three look. Cool. Um, the other ones that I've got, I guess Reina's is like a like a bot, like a battle suit kind of thing. I don't know. Kazuya's is like a devil look. I don't. I guess I'm not really going for throwback stuff. Kings mm. might be in there. Ah, oh, it's a shame if it's not man. You can probably best. customize him to look like that anyway. I mean, you've got a full customization suite. Cool. So it's like uh, every character has uh, full body skins you can unlock anyway, but you can also go upper, lower, and shoes and head and everything else. Customization for this is is great. I like that. A um, lot. I, didn't, I didn't know much about the customization. Yeah, this, it's nowhere near as over the top as Tekken 6 and 7. Um, oh, it's like okay. they've actually kind of dialed it down, I think, because they're going to sell people stuff going forward. That was my third question. What a segue. How are ha. they um, handling the DLC characters? Uh, is it egregious? I know Eddie Gordo is already being confirmed, mm-hmm. but I don't know how many they're doing. I don't know if it's they, like the Mortal Kombat combat pack shit can get or anything. They've said, because um, they, they um, when Tekken 7 was rolling out, they said they didn't expect it to go on for as long as it, didn't expect it to be as popular as it was, because um, it was a return after quite a long time between Tekken 6 was ages ago. Um, and so they ended up doing all these wider franchise things like Negan from The Walking Dead and Noctis from Final Fantasy 15 and um, and just kind of keeping going. So at the minute, they've announced a pack of, I think it's four characters is the first pack and they've only revealed Eddie so far. Right, okay. So uh, I imagine because of just the way that it all went out, they are approaching this a bit differently and it's like, well, let's actually plan for like, I guess five years worth of releases. Um, excuse me. And as I said, yeah, Gordo is already confirmed and then I guess uh, we'll just kind of go from there. Mm. But I'm in it. Like, I'm in there for the long haul. Like, you get Tekken Ball by default. Um, Tekken Bowl isn't in here yet. Right. Uh, Tekken Force mode is in here, but it's not a mode. Uh, it's part of the campaign um, where one of the a couple of the levels flick into Tekken Force mode, which was enough to make me pop massively. Yeah. Um, and so, but I still think that, you know, the way that Tekken 8 will go, I think they'll put those modes back in. Like, by I imagine in three, five years' time, the, this will be a hell of a package. Like, the core of it is so phenomenal anyway. Um, but yeah, they've. Uh, I haven't looked at the pricing thing for it. I didn't get the deluxe edition. I just bought the regular one. But um, I'm there for everything. Like, I'm just, feed me more of this game. Um, I absolutely love it. I, I had to for- I have to force myself off it because I'm going to have to play something else at some point. And I did the platinum and I was then I was just online again. I was like, no, 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 no. I need to, I need to play Infinite Wealth. I need to it's do right something there. else. It's right there. Um, I need to do something else. So I'd, I'd force myself off it. But I've not, um, I've not drank a game in like this since about Sifu. Where I was just like, I'm just loving the feel of it. It's so tight. And then like with um with tech and it's just it's perfect. Like like I said, find a flaw. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna get it. I'm gonna love it. <laughs> Speaking of games that you're just drinking in though, He's- and I won't spend too long on this because everyone already has heard about how good Baldur's Gate three right. is at length. But so I just wanna quickly throw in though that I'm right at the very end of that game now. About hundred and twenty <laughs> hours in. Couple of quests left to go, but pretty much mopped ninety-nine percent mm. of things up and First of all, what a game. Second of all, and I was going to open the podcast with this, and mm. then Suicide Squad took precedent. I think it might be better than Witcher 3. Oh. It, at the very least, I think, and then you almost certainly are going to disagree with this, has a better main story than Witcher 3. That's insane! Don't know if it's a better game overall, but the main story is better than Witcher 3. I was thinking about this last night. Coming off a Baldur's Gate, I scratch my beard in your direction, and, Josh, I, and I've not been drinking. I've not taken any <laughs> illicit substances. I'm incredibly clear-headed, and I think it's better. I, I uh, you don't have sounds on a podcast. I uh, struggle to respond to that. I, there's no comparison for me whatsoever. I like I couldn't even tell you what happens in Baldur's Gate 3's main story. 
<laughs> Witcher <laughs> Three, um, all the all the stuff with like you know tracking down Siri, all the choices that you make, the fact that at the end of Witcher Three it pays off all those choices without you even realizing it was tracking you the whole time. The whole thing that you get to do, they even add to it in the DLC. I'm not going to necessarily bring the DLC into it, but I love the perfect ending they give uh, Geralt and the partner of your choice. In my case, it was settling down with Yennefer, but I, I can't even compare those games. I also can't because Baldur's Gate 3 is just so much better story-wise. <sighs> I, I I love The Witcher 3, man. It's yeah. like one of my favorite games of all time. I replayed it during the pandemic, thought it was even better somehow <laughs> than the first time through. Uh-huh. And I think the story's pretty good. I love the relationship with Geralt and um, Ciri. Mm-hmm. I love that those little choices you make do impact the ending you get. The bloody Baron, mate. The bloody Baron. Yeah, but what happens after the bloody Baron? What do you mean? Exactly. <laughs> I can't. I personally. Skelliger. Personally. Yeah, yeah. Skelliger. Underwhelming. It's not. In my opinion. Oh. Um, no, it's just, it's not saying one's crap and one's good. <laughs> it's just, to me, a testament of how much I'm loving Baldur's Gate. Yeah. And surprisingly, it's story that I reckon it might be Pippin Witcher 3 to the post in terms of the amount of narratives it's given me, mm. the, the, the way the side characters' stories have been interwoven. There's just something about it, man. It's not what. perfect by any means. But I will throw in this, and mm-hmm. I didn't mention it to you this morning when I was gushing about <laughs> Baldur's Gate 3. I do think the end of it has a lot of things that are, uh, a lot of missions that are just a little bit unfinished. Like yeah, there are yeah. items that I'm picking up that clearly feel like cut content. Oh, okay. And there are some things that kind of end what feels like prematurely. And I know it's not because I've missed something because I've been combing through it so thoroughly, Mm. but it just feels like there are areas that kind of don't go anywhere or Mm. whatever. Like, I wouldn't notice if the rest of the game wasn't so pristine, but Mm. it sort of feels... Not as egregious as this, but like the back half of Dark Souls where you kind of think, <laughs> oh, they probably just needed to get this out at some Maybe. point. Maybe. I think, I mean, the thing is that's interesting is that you're playing through the version that they've like passed and added stuff onto. Like you have more Karlak content that me and Adam Strawn on the main channel didn't get. Mm. Um, so to still feel like they're not nailing it is really interesting. But I don't have the knowledge of the, the specific side-by-sides necessarily. Yeah. Um, but I, I, yeah, I love the sort of back half of Act 3 once everything started wrapping up. Like having all the plot threads all pay off in quick succession. I should also say like for the sake of clarification that like i'm i'd have to sit down and really think about how i pass out main story and character stories because all the meaningful stuff in Baldur's gate to me is character driven and it's you're you're opting into it as opposed to the missions that all of us do um which is that's the stuff that i barely remember because to Mm. me the most the memories that i have with Baldur's are all um through characters it's like it's certain it's a whole massive quest i did with shadowheart it's a whole thing i did with karlak it's like um the whole thing in the githyanki crash with lazelle like it's all that stuff. And then the way my ending went, which I loved, um, because it paid everything off in a really, un- felt like a really unique way. Um, so when I think about what are the main beats, it's like, well, you fall out. I'm not going to do spoilers for the second half of the game necessarily, but you fall out with a ship at the start and you sort of just wander around and do stuff. You go to the Underdark and then things go from there. So I'm like, I can't even compare that to the everything you do on the main thread of, of Witcher 3. It's frustrating because I can't <laughs> spoil it. So I can't say how I think it goes because to me, there's there's so much more. Right. And those kind of base beats that you mentioned. And yeah, the character story in some of the side missions come into it more. And I definitely think not everyone's going to get the exact same experience. Mm. But I'd also probably say that with Witcher 3, like like you said, those choices you can make or some of the missions that feel like side missions that then feed into the main campaign. I think yeah. this does that as well, kind of blurring the lines. Mm. But if I was talking about like the actual beat for beat main plot and what I've got out of that, mm. I was expecting Baldur's Gate 3 to have a decent plot, but a straightforward one that right. was more or less a vehicle for 
the side stuff and the character stuff and in that that more focused content. But it's had so many moments where I've kind of stood back and gone, "Oh, I wasn't expecting that," or right. "That was a strange twist," or "Oh, this has taken a left um, field turn." Mm-hmm. That I've just appreciated that bit more That's because it, it's had so many cards to play up its sleeve, and I wasn't expecting it to have any, really, <laughs> um, because I don't in RPGs. Even The Witcher 3, I don't think, had that many cards up its sleeve in terms of, like, he's a big twist. He's something you didn't see coming. Oh. Um, in my opinion, it might be something I'm forgetting. Uh, I just, I mean... It's a, again, Witcher 3 is awesome. <laughs> One of the best games of all time. Its story is also great, but... It's also I'm, nine years old. It is. It's crazy, terrifying. That, isn't it? Terrible. We'll, uh, we'll maybe do some sort of podcast on... Um, because me and Adam Strong did a spoiler cast for Baldur's Gate 3 at the end of last year, but when you finish it, you'll have many things to say. And uh, we might do another pod for that, depending on what you think of the ending or the way your story goes. Um, but that could be fun. But yeah, when I'm thinking about Witcher 3, and I guess Witcher 3 spoilers for the next couple of minutes, um, the stuff with the ugliest man alive, like that's a bit... Like, I guess it's spoilers, so I'm going to dance around it, but the big twist there, and like the, all the stuff with Siri and like you think that she's dead and then she's not and then like did the end figure out what the wild hunt are like I love all that stuff like yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, and the big finish and then like you get, like to me it all makes sense because at the end it fundamentally was about how you played Geralt and how you were uh, as a parent or a teacher um, to Siri and then it's like whether or not she survives and then like she be- she can become queen like depending on how you treat her and like. There's all that stuff that, like, I don't know, like, it's if, if I'm comparing meaningfulness, then uh, yeah. Baldur's does have it because the end of Baldur's is my favorite stuff in there. Okay. Um, but you haven't hit that yet, so we might have to uh, wrap back around. But I, I think I hold Witcher 3 in very high esteem. I also do. And the only criticism I'd say, we cannot get into this for the rest of the podcast. <laughs> we have so much left to talk about, is everything you said there, I agree with. Yeah. But when you're specifically talking about your influence over Siri, yes. I don't put too much stock into that personally because really? you get like four times to be a dad. And yeah, but you don't know like, though. I know, I know, but it's not like it's not like it's tracking you all the way through the game. It's like for me, it's a bit more simplistic because you get those four mm. instances, and that's what it's based on, and that is really good. But it, I don't think it's like a judge of your character from all the way through the game, kind of like how Disco Elysium does it at the end. No, no, it's like, not. It's more tracking it and is a, is a proper through line rather than, oh, here are the moments. And you don't know, admittedly, it, like when it happens and that twist is great, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's like they're more discreet than I think the stuff in Baldur's is maybe. Yeah, but, Baldur's is still like, this will be a better conversation once you've finished it. Baldur's yeah. is still a diamond where like it's still yeah. going to taper everything towards the end. But I think, um, yeah, that's true. Like it's not it's not a reflection on every single decision you made as Geralt across the entirety of The Witcher 3. But um, but I love that it was just little choice bits that you weren't even thinking about. No, yeah. Like depending on how you try, when you played, if you played in the snow with her at one point or uh, whether you let her, it's like a necklace that she can choose to wear or something like that. Um, I just remember it highlighting those moments going like, and in 2015 especially, it was like, oh, this is really cool that you were tracking this. Oh, no, it was... And, uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. It was c'est magnifique. Great. Are Xbox losing their minds right now? A little bit. It feels like it, doesn't it, Scott yeah, Telford? Yeah. There's a report coming out over on Xbox era from uh, Nick Baker saying various Xbox exclusives are now coming to PlayStation. Um, a quote from the report itself says, Microsoft's senior leadership have reportedly debated the various pros and cons of releasing more of their exclusive software elsewhere, and internally not everyone is necessarily happy with the decision, but recouping the potential money left on the table by not releasing elsewhere has arguably won out. The games that are mentioned are Hi-Fi Rush, Sea of Thieves, um, which we knew about about a month or so ago, 
ago. Um, that's already been mentioned. But Hellblade 2 is thrown in here um, with a follow-up tweet from Baker himself. And then we've got TheVerge.com um, saying that they've heard, and I quote, Bethesda is also considering bringing Indiana Jones and the Great Circle to PS5. Um, part of the original report mentioned that an announcement's coming, uh, hopefully coming in February. Um, and we've just got so many people weighing in on this right now, like Windows Central Insider Gaming. Like I said, The Verge. Uh, VGC, Video Game Chronicles, Andy Robinson um, said over on X, I don't find it that surprising that Xbox is putting more games on PS5 given its strategy. Um, it always felt like this was something of an inevitability for the future, though I wasn't expecting this many this soon. Um, I even hear more are coming than reported. We'll wrap back around to that in a sec because I think one of the biggest conversations around Xbox and ownership is the idea of Elder Scrolls 6 being yeah. Xbox exclusive, which might not even be the case anymore. Um, thoughts on this shift? Um, oh, lots of thoughts, Scott <laughs> One, I fully regret telling my friend to buy an Xbox for Starfield last year now. You said he was, Power World wrong then. Oh, get lost. Get one for Power World. So he was looking for Don't He was it. looking at Starfield and he was like, I love Bethesda games. Should I just take the plunge? And I said, sillily. That's not a word, but you know what I mean? I said stupidly, um, yeah, get it. You'll be future-proof. The Elder Scrolls is coming. You've got all these games yeah. to look forward to. Call of Duty and all He's that. He's never going to let me live that down now. So thank you, <laughs> Phil and to everyone fair, else. Bill, to if throw you're still at that company. <laughs> to throw it in. Um, it is worth saying that, um, you know, all the conversations that we had about Game Pass as a phenomenal deal in gaming, the best deal in gaming, it still is. Yeah. Um, and the idea being that you would then tell someone to buy a Series S because you're future-proofing, the idea being that they're going to hoover up all of these different properties, all these different, you know, do all these different deals to at least do a time-release window on Game Pass, like what Rockstar have been doing with Red Dead 2 or GTA 5. This kind of detonates that whole idea. I guess the idea is that you would still get Game Pass available in other places, which we'll talk about in a bit. Microsoft's wider plan to just become a, a streaming platform overall. Um, and ostensibly be a, be a new age Sega in regards to going from consoles to just uh, streaming stuff. Um, we'll wrap back around to some stuff, but I mean, thoughts on even the, the new Indiana Jones being on PS5 as well? Yeah, well, look, right, I think from a really, really cold business perspective, mm. I can see why the Microsoft brass have looked at the margins on the return on investment, the ROI on these games as these companies so like to uh, <laughs> uh, roll that term out mm -hmm. and gone, we can be making more money here. Because yep. I we mentioned this when we were talking about Xbox a few weeks ago on the podcast, you know, are people buying Xboxes for these games? Will it be um, a copy... Will it be a copy missed out on if they don't put it on another machine? Because mm. will it be good enough for people who own a PlayStation only to say, no, I need to buy into this system for this game? Mm. I don't think so. I don't think anyone's buying an Xbox for Indiana Jones or even Starfield. And I think maybe the numbers prop that up. So it's not like it's a console not sold if you start selling these games on PlayStation. I don't think the world works like that right, right now, mm -hmm. in, in, in my opinion, in, in a mainstream um, sort of from a mainstream perspective. However, I do think there is money to be made if you put those games on other platforms because then yes. you suddenly get that massive install base and they probably weren't going to buy an Xbox anyway, but they might buy Indiana Jones for That's 70 the, pounds, yeah. you know? And I still think Xbox still has a reason to exist because the, those games, you imagine will be Game Pass Day 1 on mm -hmm. Xbox consoles and PC. So they still have that bargaining chip of, yeah, you can buy it and give us more money if you're on a competitor, but this is still a, gr this is still a great deal because if you buy into our ecosystem, you can get Indiana Jones for quote-unquote free, you can yes. get Starfield for quote-unquote free, and you're not having to pay that higher price. I think it's them trying to have their cake and eat it too because I don't think the model of if we make these games and we invest in these franchises, we'll suddenly get the big market share that we want. Everyone will jump ship yep. to our 
machine. I just don't think that is the reality of Xbox. And if you if you buy all these studios and that's still not the case, it may never be. I wanted to get a specific percentage for this. Uh, it's over on GFK Data saying that when Starfield came out, uh, Xbox Series S and X sales jumped 76% week on week. So I remember at the time talking about that whole this was that whole thing that Phil Spencer said about like they've lost the, the war kind of thing. You know, everyone built their digital libraries across the last generation and they just can't compete with that. And people are locked in with the libraries that they have and the money that they've spent. Um, and no amount of 10 out of 10 games is going to do it for them. And I staunchly disagree. And I would point to things like those console sales. But it depends what business they want to be in. That's it, right? Maybe he's saying that because they they just don't care about it. This is too small a picture. Like, it was always bigger. I remember when um, the conversation was doing the rounds on the Xbox. It was called the Keystone. It was like this little streaming device thing that was seen on Phil Spencer's shelf. And that was some, it was mentioned as like the future of Xbox. And we also know there was that big data leak last year about the next Xbox console. And um, it looks like a Series X, but it's rounded. And it's, it's just a streaming tower, essentially. Um, and it is that thing of like, what is their end game? Do they just want to be a glorified version of EA Play or, you know, UB Plus or whatever the hell they're calling it this week? Like any version of a library that you just access through another console storefront. Um, and is that enough? Like, do they make enough money that way? Um, it's just, it's a, I mean, yeah, they would. Um, it's an interesting thing, though, because then you do have to try and satisfy the multi-platform contracts that you have. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you would be missing out potentially on the unit sale of a Call of Duty, for example, if people buy it on PlayStation. Um, if they were given, though, the Game Pass alternative through the PlayStation Store, what does that look like? And is that the end point of hoovering up so many studios? Yeah. Um, I think the initial gut reaction is like, oh, my God, this affects the reason I bought an Xbox, which it does. I look at my Series X and like it's a you know it's a glorified indie machine like for the most part I love Starfield and everything but um, I'm still kind of you know looking at the Game Pass releases and being like okay Cocoon's awesome like yeah. you know every now and then I'll find something that's cool um, but I think they have dropped the ball on making customers feel satisfied I don't think people feel satisfied they bought they bought an Xbox no I think you're right I think, there, uh, yeah. I think that's the thing that they've kind of really fallen down on which is where it gets really nakedly businessy. Um, and a deal like this or a, um, a general movement like this um, speaks to the bottom line more than it does satisfaction, which is the way that everything in the world is going to go. It is, man. I mean, we would, we did the podcast on WB last week, and that, again, their approach was all ROI, you know, get invest in this sector and we'll get more profits, you know, that <laughs> sort of stuff, which it always has been to an extent, but now it is more nakedly obvious than ever. And I do think what you were mentioning there, like what game are they playing? I think if you make an acquisition worth $70 billion, you were playing a different game from the likes of <laughs> yeah, Sony, who is not exactly a, you know, a cheap company or making, you know, it's not like they're making no money, but mm. you are definitely moving away from the console formula as we know it, which, you know, historically has been get your machines out there, even sell them at a loss at first, get people in your ecosystem mm. and then sell them the software and make the money that way. Mm -hmm. uh, revenue streams have completely changed with the likes of live service games. And when you're making, when your margins are that thin because mm. you're spending $70 billion on these acquisitions, you need to find those are the revenue streams. You need to maximize them. Speaking like a business person, um, I don't think that's necessarily healthy for the industry, but it's clearly what they're doing. And I think they're looking at the games that they have to offer. A lot of them single player games, right? But now they've bought into the live, live service playground mm. with Call of Duty. And we know that's going to be multi-platform anyway. I think they're thinking, who cares about unit sales anymore? Yeah, you yeah. can make a lot of money with unit sales, but you can make more money if you have a big install base and you sell them stuff for five years. You know, every yeah. company has kind of been pivoting to that. And Microsoft won't just make live service games. But imagine if Redfall was a huge success, right? And mm. that was a, something that continued throughout this year it would probably make sense for them to then port it over to PlayStation because you've got 
I don't know, 50 million people playing on PlayStation uh, 5. And even if you only get, you know, three or four more million people to play it, that might be three or four more people who play it every single month and continue to spend money on it and get the revenue that way. I think in terms of these games being services, these games being something that can bring in profit in the long term, I can see why Microsoft thinks it makes more sense to get those out to as many people as possible Mm -hmm. rather than try to use them as a means to shift consoles, which, you know, overall, at least in the short-term part, uh, initial part of a generation, don't actually make all that money for the company. No, and how long have people been saying that Game Pass wasn't profitable? Give me the the numbers on Game Pass. And that idea that, like, you know, which is a... Loaded question, obviously, but it is a conversation on what do people want from their games. Um, and that bar being set over on the PlayStation side of like The Last of Us or The God of Wars or The Horizons, like the, the visual fidelity, the gameplay mechanics, like the size of those productions, the amount of bodies it takes to get one of those over the finish line. And the idea that like, and then you reveal the amounts that those games took to make and it's millions of, of pounds and dollars. Yeah. Um, the Game Pass revenue just isn't going to hit that. Like it might once every few years, but then you've got to cater to so many different teams and so many different visions. And the general way that Phil Spencer's approached it is like, look, I'm just providing a bedrock for creativity overall and we've hoovered up everybody from you know um the state of decay people through to like double fine or whatever it is and then there's an audience every month for whatever you guys are making i like that like overall as like a more sort of altruistic approach to the industry and that's better than crunching everything half to death and making sure it's a suicide squad right but um but still it's interesting looking at the, the ramifications of that because it does lock off a certain echelon of game at the very top. Um, and then you were mentioning the whole physical st- uh, unit sales before, and it's like Xbox have um, sacked their entire physical division now. And that was part of the most recent wave of layoffs, um, which all seems to be going in this direction of like digital and uh, online costs. You want to get a specific market. You want to get people on a specific storefront or Game Pass. Um, and then you can just charge whatever you want or you can get them. That's the, the um, groundswell of people that you then sort of monetize. You can see their whole plan yeah um, and it's a very like um in motion thing and i think phil spencer will be gone not be dead but you'll be gone you'll by be the gone. time it all kicks in yeah um but it is interesting seeing them lead the way yeah. when when they have done it in generations past like xbox live or whatever and whether this will be the norm and then you'll see nintendo and sony catch up even though i've i've, I've not defended the practice but i've tried to see it from their point of view with what i've been saying in in the podcast previously i Xbox are in a real ugly position mm. for me right now. They've they've had my benefit of the doubt for what eight years now, <laughs> well, seven yeah. years. I've been saying, you know, they 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 might be able to do what you said, cultivate mm. creativity, get these games out, do right by these studios. But over the past few months, since the consolidation of the um, Activision Blizzard deal, I've seen a uh, Microsoft as a whole as an entity that is now looking at how much they've spent and going. Right, we need to make some money now. Yeah. We need to make a lot of money to justify spending $70 billion oh, yeah. in the rest on the other studios we've purchased. Where's that profit coming from? Because it, I, someone at the very top level has had to make this decision. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. when we were looking at the FTC trial into that acquisition last year, it was like Phil Spencer was talking about, yeah, we're going to make some things exclusive where we're not going to do this thing where we don't really want to open everything up. We'll put COD on other... Other, other other consoles, but we bought some of these studios for a reason. We want to make the Xbox brand itself bigger mm-hmm. and kind of have that healthy thing. And now suddenly they've almost pivoted and gone, oh, actually, we might make a bit more money, make a few more pennies if we get this stuff on the competition's platforms. And at the same time, oh, we need to save some money because we spent $70 billion. We're going to sack nearly 2,000 people. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's ruthless and it's brutal. And to me, it's antithetical 
to what Phil Spencer has been saying for years and trying to cultivate. I don't know if it was his decision to do this. I don't know mm. if whether it comes comes higher than him, but at the at the core at the core of it, it's a it's a I think it's just a terrible move across the board. It makes Microsoft look like they're not interested in anything but the money, the return right. on the investment. Just get it by any means necessary. Yeah. Sack off the physical teams, sack off all of these uh, devs, sack off the QA teams, and um, focus on franchises, get these games out. We don't care about the console. Get them <laughs> out on PlayStation so we can get yeah. that bit extra revenue about making those slim margins a little bit thicker. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever business it is, if your primary concern is increasing that margin by 5%, mm-hmm. so you've got, well, I, I think you've got the wrong priorities. But also, like, yeah, I think their defense would be like, well, that 2,000 uh, staff layoff number would be higher if we didn't do this thing. Right. Whereas the another counterpoint to that would be, look, assumedly, look at the layout of the salaries on the various CEOs and the way that thing, the way that their structure has gone. Um, because they did just clear some insane sales, uh, you know, revenue, a uh, bottom line milestone at the end of last year. They're one of the most profitable companies That's in the a, world. Sorry, I interrupted. Them, but I think that goes back to what you were saying about what game are they playing? What do they actually want? Because yeah, yeah. they've 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 made all of these cost cutting um, exercises and and moves, but their revenue was up last year. It was up yeah. nearly fifty percent. So how much? Not revenue, for the people at the bottom. That's it. How yeah. much revenue would be enough to justify it and in your eyes be sustainable? Like what game are you playing? How much is going to justify these acquisitions and all of the changes that you're making internally? Like what do you what do you want? What what yeah. what, what what is success to you? Because at that point I I don't know what Microsoft thinks is a success. I kind of know what Sony thinks is a success. Mm. I know what Nintendo thinks is a success. With Microsoft, I don't know when they think they're doing well or when they think they're doing bad. It's kind of like Square Enix in that regard, where mm. it's like, what do you want? Well, what do you want out of this industry? Totally. Know? I think, and I could be way off with this, but I feel like PlayStation is more important to Sony than Xbox is to Microsoft in terms of their brand identity. Yeah. Sony PlayStation is a large thing. Um, whereas if you watch, um, I forget the name of the, act- the actual name of the documentary, but Xbox put it out themselves in 2023. Um, sorry, no, yeah, it was looking at the last 20 years of Xbox. There's a whole documentary on their official channel. Um, it's in like 10 episodes, but it's the whole history of Xbox. Really, really well done. But when the Xbox One went so sideways, all the conversations at the time were about just getting rid of the Xbox division of Microsoft. Yeah. Um, and it's not that fundamental to their bottom line. Like, um, it, in terms of the acquisition that was made, that would have brought a lot of money in from the Activision deal. Um, but still, it is that conversation on like, yeah, what does success look like when Xbox is as big as Windows or whatever? Like, when it's when it's that fundamental to the brand. Like, um, and if you're so many rungs above Phil Spencer making those calls or in those boardrooms or whatever it is, um, the amount of bodies that get cast to the side when those table swipes get done, like, it's, um, they are lewd. I mean, there's a whole... Wider conversation to be had about the the fact that that is a reality that is happening across many different industries. Um, and obviously, in the minute, uh, the amount of layoffs in the gaming industry hasn't slowed down. Like no. we've had over, it was almost six thousand across January alone. Um, more people that have lost their jobs, with some of them with very little notice. Um, maybe it's a recalibration that works out better in the long run and people know where they stand on this new plan overall. But that's given the biggest benefit of the doubt to a company that has been flailing for that's, about ten years. That's it, man. And, I, and like for me, they. They no longer deserve that benefit of the doubt mm. because, you know, I, I wouldn't have liked it even if they were losing money because I still think that's on them to have right. better plans. But mm. they're making money, you know, and it does feel a like lot of it, it's, yeah. it's, it's 
to me, this is pure speculation. This is why I think it may be above Phil Spencer, not saying his hands are totally clean, not saying he didn't have anything to do with it, but it feels like we talked about this with WB and the way that the parent company and the people who were usually in charge of movies suddenly were looking at gaming. Mm. And then it was almost like they noticed that division for the first time and realized, oh, this is how much money we're spending and this is how much money they're getting. It's yeah. almost like they just saw them on a spreadsheet. And we talk about how like sometimes you can fly low in a business. If a business is that big, like you know Microsoft, you can just not be that pressing of an issue until you are. And entirely speculation, but I wonder if the $70 billion acquisition was enough to suddenly get Microsoft's eye of Sauron <laughs> looking at Xbox <laughs> and then going, oh, if you're going to spend this much money, yeah. well, we need to scrutinize this a bit more now. And I Probably. wonder if they didn't have that scrutiny before because, like you said, yeah, it was like to Microsoft, uh, they 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 didn't necessarily even need Xbox. They could have sold it off. But mm -hmm. now I wonder if if they have that level of, um, okay, people are looking at us now. Now they're getting involved. They're making decisions. I could be entirely wrong. I've just, like I said, no, seen I it happen before with WB and uh, some yeah. other studios. I was going to say it mimics other industries at this point in human history, this point in time. And go check out our other video on the uh, Warner Brothers overall plan for the next few years because it's, it's similar stuff of making such big, grand, sweeping decisions um, that drastically affect the creative stuff that comes out the other end. Um, the way that this is going to go, I guess we might as well touch on the idea of does something like Elder Scrolls 6 go multi-platform? I think at this point, my gut says yes. Yeah. Like you just, you can't really lock it down if you're committing to this at this point, even if they commit to this for like a couple of years or something, and well, however long it is, I don't think you walk it back and then you you redouble down on your Xbox exclusives and then have an insane console. Like it's, I think we're past that now, Yeah. which was always the bigger game that they were playing. But it's, um, yeah, assumedly PS5 owners will be getting Elder Scrolls 6 and Doom and everything else. I think it might not be day and date. Mm. You might not get them, you might not get a simultaneous release across the platforms. I, I think the, uh, the Verge article on Indie suggests that um, yeah, the game will drop on PC and Xbox this year, then a few months later it'll come to PlayStation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think it might be a situation like that, depending on how well this experiment works. But yeah, if they're going ahead with this, if they're putting Starfield mm. on um, a PlayStation, which you would think would have been the most likely to stay exclusive because it's a new IP yeah. for uh, Microsoft and Xbox, I think Elder Scrolls absolutely is going multi-platform because that <laughs> will inherently sell more. It it it. Perception-wise, I think it has. It would be a harder sell to suddenly just say this once multi-platform thing is now mm. um, uh, exclusive. Mm. So yeah, why not just go? All right, it'll sell thirty million copies <laughs> if we put it on everything. Let's do it. Yeah, at least as well. Like for as a, a positive takeaway on the most base level possible, at least more people get to play cool games. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like there is also that. I think a lot of the business machinations and the bodies that have been cast aside in regards to the layoffs is a horrific reality of the modern world. Um, but you would hope that on a long enough timeline it gets to some, like I said, some sort of plan that makes sense um, because there's so much money being thrown into this. Uh, my my laptop is in, in determined to die. <laughs> so we will wrap this podcast. This has been The Wind-Up. I've been Scott Tilford. Don't think I did an intro. That's Josh Brown. You didn't, but it's always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you. Take care and we'll catch you very soon. Bloody laptop. <laughs>
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.